Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best mysteries and suspense novels directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with Alice Duncan, the author of, among other things, the Mercy Alcott Mystery Series, the fifth of which, Thanksgiving Angels, was released in mid-April. Alice, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, let's get the ball rolling by talking about... Mercy Alcott and and this series, because it's an interesting series. You've got a really interesting group of characters. It's a historical mystery. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff going on in here, and then we'll, we'll get into the book itself. But first, uh, explain to us uh, what Mercy's world is like. Mercy's world is set in Los Angeles, California in 1926. I love the 20s. They're a fascinating era. I mean, the First World War was over, and the great flu pandemic that killed about a quarter of the world's population right after the war was over. And people, well, there are lots of different things. Um, Young people are beginning to rebel and wear short skirts and drive cars, and their parents are freaking out. And um, Mercy is a very uptight Bostonian. She's a Boston Brahmin, but she wants to be a member of the worker proletariat because she thinks her (laughs) life is useless as a... as a Boston Brahmin, so she moves. Besides that, her parents suck. I mean, they're real stuffy <laughs> snobs. And so Mercy, whose sister Chloe married a movie magnet and lives in Los Angeles, Mercy moves to L.A. and wants to get a job, which is the first time any female human being in her family line ever worked for a living, and her family is horrified. But she took typing and shorthand, Pittman method, at the Young Women's Christian Association in Boston, and now she goes to look for a job in L.A. And uh, she gets a job with private investigator Ernie Templeton, who used to be a cop, but got so disgusted with the corruption in the LAPD that he went into business for himself. He's not making a whole lot of money, but he hires Mercy, and she prides herself on being an efficient member of the working class, and she makes lots of interesting friends like Lulu LaBelle, who wants to be an actress but spends most of her days filing her nails behind the reception (laughs) desk of the Figueroa building in which Ernie's office is housed. So that's basically how Mercy came to be. Well, that's not how she came to be. That's who she is. She came to be because my first 20s series, the Spirits books, which were set in Pasadena, California in the 20s, and I wanted them to be historical cozy mysteries. Um, Kensington, my publisher at the time, told me to take out the dead bodies and add a subsidiary romance because Daisy was already married. So I did. They marketed them as romances, which they weren't, and the book tanked. <laughs> and it broke my heart. So that's when Mercy appeared. She was kind of my fallback from Daisy, mm-hmm. you know? And so uh, Daisy gets into all sorts of mischief. I mean, Mercy does. Well, Daisy does, too. But Mercy <laughs> gets into all sorts of mischief. And Ernie is always trying to keep her out of it. But Mercy just wants to be a private eye. And she wants to, you know, be promoted from secretary to P.I.'s assistant. And and she takes such immense pride in working and supporting herself 
yes. with her salary, <laughs> although the reality is uh, far from the that, that's far from the truth. The reality is she came out and bought a really nice house and she, she's yeah. got all these other things going on because yeah, she's got a. <laughs> She's got a, a trust fund from her great aunt Agatha, who is indicted and left her money. So Murphy tries to live on her salary, but it gets pretty hard sometimes. <laughs> All right. Now, you mentioned uh, another series. One of the things I noticed when going to your website is that you've written a ton of books. So I I think I saw, and I don't know when this was last updated, I saw close to 50. So do you happen to know what the count is? It's over 50 now. I really have to update my website. But, um, yeah, I've written a ton of books, and I've written a ton of series, too. You know, I, I've got lots of historical romance series, and then I've got three historical mystery cozy series, and um, and I can't keep up with them all. So, but I'm trying. I'm every time I said that to my mother, she'd say, "Yes, you really are," and she didn't mean it kindly. But you know, that's the way it goes. All right. Speaking of mothers, yes. um, there you you mentioned that. Mercy's parents are a, a bit of a challenge. Um, yes. is, is, is there, is Mercy's mother based on a real person? Only partially. Uh, my mother was never a snob like that, but she was kind of a difficult woman. <laughs> but she was also a wonderful woman in many ways. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, uh, growing up under her wasn't a piece of cake. All right, so let's talk now about this particular book, the book that just came out, Thanksgiving Angels. Uh, just right. give us your overview of the book without giving too much away. Just uh, give us a sense of the storyline. Okay, well, Mercy is absolutely horrified when her Bostonian parents buy a second home in Pasadena. She thought she'd got away from them, you know, for good and all, but no. And so they've come out for the the holiday season, and they insist that Mercy spend Thanksgiving with them. And Mercy begs her boss not to give her the time <laughs> off, but poor Ernie doesn't have enough work to keep him busy, much less Mercy, so he gives her the week off. So Mercy takes her little dog, Buttercup, and very unhappily drives to Pasadena from her Bunker Hill home in Pasadena, or in Los Angeles, and uh, in, it goes to her parents' grand estate on San Pasquale Avenue in Pasadena and just is dreading the ordeal ahead of her. Fortunately for her, her sister Chloe and her and Chloe's husband Harvey Nash are there so they can kind of comfort each other. But um, it's a rough week and a murder happens. And um, oddly enough, Daisy Majesty, by sleuth in my other series, shows up because she's a fake spiritualist, so she she does this, the seance that Mercy's mother has done in her house, which Mercy is totally shocked at because she never thought her mother was a seance-type person. Now, this book takes place in Pasadena. I saw on your website that you were, were you raised in Pasadena? Yes, I lived in Pasadena my whole entire life. Well, no, I spent my first four years in Maine, but I was born in Pasadena, and we moved to Maine when I was three months old because my dad's from Maine, and then... Um, we moved back to Pasadena, and I spent the rest of my life there until I moved to Roswell, God Save Me, in 1996. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I couldn't afford to live in California any longer. I mean, it's you know, an expensive it's place to live, yeah. Oh, Lord, yeah. <laughs> now, Roswell it has its own interesting history. It, well, let, let's go back to Pasadena. When you yes. were growing up there, were you captivated by the history of the buildings and things like that? Because there's a lot of that in the book. 
Uh, actually, I wasn't when I lived there, but I am now. <laughs> I absolutely love Pasadena. It's a great place. It was a rich man's town when it first started out, and it's got a wonderful, I mean, it's just got a great history to it, and a lot of my life is in the books that I write, mm-hmm. said in Pasadena. Um, the doctor who comes and examines the body in uh, Thanksgiving Angels is Dr. Benjamin. I, my aunt was a great friend of Dr. Benjamin, and, uh, you know, I, went, I took my kids to him when they were little. And there's a house in the book, Mrs. Bissell's house, which belonged to my aunt. It's on the corner of Altadena Drive and Maiden Lane, and it's still there, and it was recently for sale for a couple of million bucks, and if I'd had a couple of million bucks, I would have bought it, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Okay. Now, there's a quote on your website, and I want to read it, and uh, then we'll talk about it for just a minute. But in quotes, when I was young and didn't know any better, I wanted to write the great American novel. After life kicked me around for a few decades, I decided I not only don't want to write the great American novel, I don't even want to read it. What I like in my reading material is to be taken away from life's travails for a few hours. That's what I aim to do in my own novels, and I consider it to be a most worthwhile goal. And that end quote, and I completely agree with you. When I read, I that's what I want to do. I want to be taken away for a few hours and... The people who write the books that can take us away for a few hours, it's a wonderful thing. And the whole idea of not wanting to read the great American novel, I am totally with you there. So what, what was it like to, to come to terms with that? That uh, I guess we call it the uh, your own personal character arc as a writer. I guess so. I always wanted to be a writer. Even when I was a little kid and somebody would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, an author. I mean, asking a kid what he wants to be when he grows up, or she, it's kind of stupid because they're going to be an adult human being, God willing, you know, not an elephant. I I mean, if I had developed a sense of humor by then, I, you know, I would have said something else, but I always said, an author. And it took me years and years and years and years and years to do it. But by the time I sat down and started writing books, I'd been really battered. I mean, I was a single mother, reared two kids, two daughters, thank heavens, we're all good friends now, but it was rough. We didn't get any goodies like child support or alimony or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I reared my kids working as a secretary, which is a totally thankless job. And uh, it was hard. And I, you know, and I started reading books by Georgette Hare and stuff like that. And they really took me away, you know, from the real bitter world into a fantasy land where things always work out right. I don't know how many times I have read what someone told me is the great American novel, and I will occasionally fight my way through to the end. Oftentimes, I'll just give up, which is something that younger in life I would never do if I had made this commitment to myself that if I started reading, I was going to finish. Um, But I don't know, so many people write Certainly not to entertain. I, there's some other reason there that I'm not getting in, in some well, books, but I, I like to be entertained. People, me too. And my type of entertainment isn't depressing. Some people love um, really gritty, depressing books, but as far as I'm concerned, my life is so gritty and depressing. <laughs> Didn't need if that. I want to be depressed, all I have to do is wake up in the morning. I want to go someplace happy, you know? Even if things happen, I mean, like in my Daisy books, her husband was gassed during World War One, and he's 
terribly injured and eventually he dies and i mean you know but they're still funny books Mm -hmm. that's just the way my world works you know it's sort of like getting by on a sense of humor because otherwise they'll get you or something i don't know (laughs) so all of your books are like that all of your books all of your 50 plus books are uh, uplifting say fun to read uplifting yeah i have to say that I didn't intend for them to be that way. I wrote my first book thinking this is a gripping historical romance novel. With, <laughs> you know, and my teach, my, the, one of the biggest influences on getting published was a woman named Meredith Brucker, who taught a class on how to get published at the San Marino High School in the evenings when I lived in Pasadena. So I went down there and I took her class. She was right. She told us exactly what to do to get published. Now, you also have to be able to write pretty well. Mm -hmm. But she gave us all the, you know, step-by-step instructions about writing a cover letter and a synopsis and a query and stuff like that. But um, anyway, I had written this book called One Bright Morning, which was my very first book, and I was so, so jazzed. The day of the Northridge earthquake in 1994, I got a call from Abigail Caymans at Harper Collins, and she said she wanted to read the whole book. So um, since plaster was falling from the ceiling and stuff like that when I worked at JPL, I took off and um, sent her the whole book, and she called that Friday and bought it. And I was so happy I could hardly stand it. And I called Meredith, and she was elated. And so she asked me to read a little bit of my books at the South Pasadena Public Library, because she was a friend of the South Pasadena Public Library. So I read the first page of One Bright Morning, my riveting emotional <laughs> novel, and everybody laughed. And I thought, what? Wait a minute. This isn't what's supposed to happen. But it, it's just the way, you know, that it's a little twist on the world that mm-hmm. ends up in my books. And I hadn't intended it to be that way. Now I'm used to it, and so that's fine. I don't care. But it, I'm glad to make people laugh. It is funny that it, when people sometimes try to be funny it, in, in books, it doesn't come out all that well. But right. for people that are naturally funny, and that sounds like the way you are, it, yeah. it just comes out, and it's so natural that sometimes you'll be reading a paragraph beyond the funny line, and then all of a sudden you start laughing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just takes you a minute to, to catch on. Well, Alice, what's the best way for people to keep up with your work? You mentioned your website's not up to date uh, no, all the time, but is, is there a better Probably. place? Is social media Facebook. a better place? Facebook? My whole life is on Facebook. I don't. I, you know, I don't ever keep anything back, hardly, except politics and religion. I don't do politics and religion. But, you know, Facebook is where I announce everything, and I've got to get my website updated. It's my <laughs> fault. I just have been not doing it. But anyway, yeah, Facebook. All right, so if someone goes to Facebook and, and types in Alice Duncan, because I know you've also written under oh, a yeah. half dozen other names, uh, yeah, Alice Duncan, all right, is, is the place to go. So go to Facebook, type in Alice, Alice Duncan, send a friend request, and you're golden. Yes, absolutely. That's it. All right. Because well, I friend everybody. <laughs> all right, well, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much for the interview. I appreciate it. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. If you are an iTunes listener, please subscribe and give us a rating or a review. Those will help other crime fiction readers find great new books like Thanksgiving Angels from Alice Duncan. Thanks for listening.